You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. As always, I am your host, Daniel Lee, or Photos by DOE. So this week, we're going to be discussing areas of improvement I'd like to see for Canon, Nikon, and Sony, and going over some news topics from the past fortnight, as well as some personal updates, which will be a lot more photography-related this time. As the usual, we're going to start off with my personal updates. So the first one is I've been trying to find a new camera bag. So most photographers out there could understand, you know, this can be sort of a thing that's sometimes seen as unnecessary to own, but not so much unnecessary, but something you don't really need to put that much effort into or worry about. You just find one that sort of suits what you like and you get it. Whereas with me, I'm a bit more fussy in particular with what kind of camera bag I use. I've been looking for a particular type of one. So I, well, I wouldn't say currently because I don't really use it unless I travel, but I have a low pro CompuDay 240 or 250, sorry. This one's a bit of a unique backpack. So if you think of like a normal sort of big backpack, you got your front section where you can just put in, I don't know, something small like a tablet or whatever. Then you got a back section, which is the big area. The bottom, say, quarter of that back section is actually reserved for a camera pouch. And the way you put the camera in there is from the side. So it's a very quick access thing. I wish this was like the most common type of backpack. I've even gotten to the point where I've considered trying to make my own backpack, like contacting some man- bag manufacturers in China or whatever, and actually making a bag just like this myself and trying to sell it as part of TPE. But obviously that's going to cost money. So not something I don't think I want to do right now. But pretty much this bag, I've had it since nearly not long after I started photography. So let's say I've owned it about eight years. I don't really use it that much anymore because it's so big and bulky and old now. And I pretty much, what I usually do is I have a little low pro pouch or sleeve that you can put your camera in. It pretty much just fits the camera with a lens attached. So what I do is I put that inside one of my normal super dry backpacks and just sort of carry that out with me rather than having to carry the whole camera bag. Because I usually only just bring a body and a lens and that's it. I don't bring like every single lens I own, two flashes, eight batteries, my cat, my pet dog, that kind of stuff. Like just only the few items. So I don't need a massive bag. Now that I want to look for another one, I am honestly struggling. There's only one bag I can see that somewhat fits what I want, which is a Manfrotto Advance 2 compact bag. It has that top section where you can put your camera in and the bottom section is the storage which I would just put, I got this like Uniqlo jacket is the jacket I take with me when I don't feel too cold, but just in case I need one, which, you know, I do from time to time. And it sort of wraps up in itself with a little carry bag. So it comes in handy. I also want a backpack that's more weather resistant. So if I do need to walk in the rain, which I do quite often, I don't have to worry about the my camera gear getting destroyed or whatever else is in the backpack. Because sadly, the earbuds I own as well, they are not weather resistant. So they're another thing that I have to, I usually have with me, but I need to keep safe as well. So pretty much I'm still hunting for a back new camera bag or just a general backpack I can use and keep using the lower pro, but I can't find anything besides that one that suits me. So I'm hoping on Saturday, if I get the time, I can go look at some camera stores, mainly one of the local ones near me called Camera Pro. They got the bag in stock. I can have a look at it. I'm happy with it. I'll buy it. Otherwise, I am sort of leaning more towards just getting a normal, you know, daily backpack and just continue to put my camera in there, in the sleeve sort of thing and chucking it in there like that. So that way, if I do want to carry that backpack with me normally without the camera, it doesn't seem like an issue as well. Because 
I really want to get back to just carrying the camera with me everywhere, but when I take out the M5 with me, there's just, after having the R6, I can't love the M5 as much. Prior to that, I was getting a bit more into it again and really impressed with it. It's just, yeah, I can't love it anymore like I can. Maybe it's not so much the body itself, but it's also the lenses. Like, I can't use the RF lenses on the M5, so that makes a difference as well. But yeah, that's it. Um, in other personal updates, I've also started writing a review for the R6. Generally, I feel like, you know, you can't really write a review in a certain amount of time unless how much you've used it. You know, in theory, it doesn't really matter whether you've owned it a week or if you've owned it a year. Sometimes it's more about how much you use it and how comfortable you are with the body. In saying that, some problems only present themselves after a certain amount of time. Like you get a honeymoon period. I know that was usually me with Sigma lenses. I'd get the Sigma lens and I'd love it use it for a few months and after that is when it would sort of be like, uh. thankfully I didn't have that with the DN85R and E-mount though, that was just happily, happily owned it the whole time. Same as the 35R actually, to be honest, in all fairness, because neither of those had focus issues, both of them performed amazingly. Otherwise, I'm hoping I can write that one quicker. If I can write it within two weeks, I'll be happy because then maybe that week's podcast, I will just be doing the R6 review, but we'll see how we go. And the first or final one is the Tamron 100 to 400 review is also still on hold, mainly due to I really want to add some more bird shots, more wildlife shots in there. I don't really shoot sports. I wouldn't mind it, but I don't know where to go to shoot them. But being able to shoot birds hasn't really been possible because we've had rain so much recently. Like if you're in Australia or even in Sydney, you would know that we had Cat 212, which was for the hail, I was hail, so rain and flooding. I work in home and contents insurance, so that's why I sort of a bit more up to date on what is happening with them. But those were quite severe. On Saturday, the rain was insane, like really, really, really heavy. I remember we went out for a drive and the rain got so heavy at one point where I could barely see the road. And we went to a place in Sydney called Watson's Bay and we were like, my girlfriend and I, we actually walked around because we both needed to go to toilets. <laughs> Walking around Watson's Bay, no one else was around. This is usually like a tourist area packed with people, absolutely deserted, dead empty. And here we are with our umbrellas above our head, barely like staying still in the wind you know like struggling to walk because the wind and the rain is so strong but it's actually pretty fun i kind of like walking around in that kind of weather it's kind of dangerous as well if a tree falls or something hits you it could be very fatal or very very dangerous but you know at the same time it's quite fun driving around as well especially driving near the ocean because you can see how crazy the waves are but yeah that would be it for personal updates so i guess it's on to the news the first story which just beat out the last so the Fortnite podcast episode is Sony unveiled the 50mm f1.2 G Master Prime lens. Now this is Sony's first native f1.2 lens, so it's quite a big deal in that sense. It replaces the 50mm f1.4, one, one poor, it's not a cat, one point, now I can't even say it, f1.4 ZA planner lens. So that one wasn't too bad of a lens, it wasn't known for having as many issues as the 35mm. In saying that, this GM lens looks much nicer. If you see size comparisons, it's significantly smaller, I'd say, than the Nikon. It's a little bit smaller than the Canon, just by a tiny bit, but I believe it does weigh a bit less. It has 14 elements in 10 groups, and three of those are extreme aspherical, aspherical elements, which is meant to minimize aberrations, and it has a minimum focusing distance of 40 centimeters. At 778 grams, it's not a light lens, but considering it is a f1.2 lens, I would say it is quite impressive, especially when you consider it's nearly the same size as Canon's, which is 950 grams, and Nikon's, which is a massive 1.9 kilos. 
I have mixed feelings about a lens like this. Like, don't get me wrong. In terms of image quality, it looks amazing. You can definitely get amazing images with this, but it's at 2,000 US dollars, I think, or 1,999 US dollars. They were very smart to just undercut the Canon and they're sort of below the Nikon, but you know, they're the cheapest out of the three. But for me, the differences between an f1.2 and an f1.4, you won't see in everything and often, you know, may not be as useful. I feel like for full body portraits is where it sort of shines because you can support that very shallow depth of field. Whereas for something like a headshot at f1.2, you're barely going to even get the eyes in focus. Maybe that tiny, tiny plane, unless that, if that person has like the flattest face ever, like a piece of paper flat, then maybe you can get everything in focus. But if, you know, most people don't have a face that flat, so you're not going to be able to get everything in focus, which would be an issue, obviously. Also comes down to the cost. So if you look at, say, the 35 1.4 GM, that one is 1399 US. This is 2000. So is having that extra, what is it, one third of a stop more light letting in really worth that extra $600? Sort of up to you and whether you feel like you can justify the cost of that. But I would always prefer f1.4 lenses. Like I'll go into it when I discuss the, you know, Canon, all that, blah, blah, blah later. But I definitely think 1.4 has a place still and they should be the main priority for camera companies. But as I said, it's up to the people to buying. And if everyone buys a 1.2, you'll probably see more from Sony in the not too distant future, hopefully anyway. The next story was also another Sony announcement. So Sony have announced a 24mm f2.8, 40mm f2.5 and a 50mm f2.5 all for their full frame FE mount. Now, all these lenses are very small, very light, and they all have aperture rings, surprisingly. If you look at the article and see the pictures of them, they look pretty decent, like build-wise, being G lenses, they're all G lenses, I forgot to add. And if you're not familiar with how Sony's hierarchy of lenses work, you pretty much got your standard lenses, then you got your G lenses, which are sort of better build quality, maybe have some special features, kind of like the aperture ring and that, but they're not then the next you would have your GM lenses, which are like the top of the line, you know, equivalent to Canon L lenses. And I'm not sure what Nikon called theirs. Pricing wise, I believe these were 599 US dollars each, which isn't too bad in terms of pricing. In terms of apertures, it's obviously the 24 f at f2.8 to me isn't that bad. Pricing wise, I think you could get Tamron's one for Sony cheaper. So that may be the better option. The 40mm, I'd probably go for the 35 f1.8. That's just me personally, because it's quite small as well. Not as small as these lenses, which I think they're only a few hundred grams each. And also the 50 f2.5, I'd probably go for ooh, maybe the Sony FE 50mm f1.8. But who knows, you know, it really depends on what you're looking for in a lens. These would be great small light lenses for travel, but really comes down to the person using them. For me, I would rather that bit fast aperture but just then keep it a nice light reasonable weight next we have another article discussing nikon's financial situation which seems to be very very popular apparently the company's cfo munaki tokunari hopefully i pronounced that correct sorry if i didn't expects them to be fully in the black again by the next fiscal year which would be great to see apparently they're pushing to release 12 lenses in the next 12 months so i guess a lens per month so obviously, like any other company, they took a major hit during the pandemic, which didn't exactly help their financial situation. But in terms of this article with on Nikkei, um, they said, we are also promoting cost reforms in video business. He continues, the video business is a direct translation from Japanese and refers to Nikon's imaging division. 
We have a set goal of reducing business operating costs by 63 billion yen. We will complete measures for 47 billion yen by the fin- fiscal year. If full stop, sorry. If the initiative is completed, it will be system to be a system to earn stable profits, even if the dividend sales are 150 billion yen or less. If anyone says, you know, they don't want Nikon to succeed or get back to greatness, then they must have something wrong with them. Obviously, everyone needs competition. Nikon have been around for a long time. There's no real reason for them not to succeed or for you not to want them to succeed. It's not like they insulted you or personally or insulted your favorite wrestler, (laughs) wrestling. But, you know, they definitely have the ability to like achieve better. It's more just, I feel like they need to find the area that they really, really focus on. Like Sony has always been at sensors, Canon has been at lenses. I still think Nikon need to just really focus on ergonomics and maybe colors because I still hear a lot of people, no matter what brand they shoot, compliment Nikon on their colors. So that and ergonomics, like I admit when I held the Nikon Z6 in the airport that time, I really liked the feel of the body, the shape of it, the ergonomics. I still think the shape of it looks a bit nicer compared to my R6 in 100% honesty. So that's like an area they could just really, really focus on his design. You know, it doesn't to say they can't keep up with the competition in other areas like lens quality, sensor quality, but it's more just they want to have that area where they really excel and stand out. And I feel like ergonomics could be that, you know. Canon obviously are no slouch when it comes to it, but there's always areas for improvement and that's where Nikon could really improve. And I still think a fully articulating screen would have to be one of those things that they need to add. The final news article is a bit clickbaity, but it's called Photographer and YouTuber Jared Poland, who's, you know, from Frono's Photo, is giving away $92,000 worth of camera gear, which is pretty much 50 camera kits. Now, it isn't pure clickbait or fake. Like, I listened to his Daily Throw podcast, so heard the backstory behind this, but pretty much to sum it up, which it says in the article, he spoke to a teacher friend who wanted to, um, you know, well, not so much a teacher friend, but he spoke to a teacher who frustrated, you know, who the teacher used his own money to buy cameras for the kids in the classroom just so they could continue to learn photography. You know, he always goes on about the gift of photography. So what he done is he got in contact with Canon and said, I want to, you know, help these schools and that um, still be able to do and afford to be able to do photography. So apparently in his podcast, he mentioned that, you know, originally I think he wanted to buy them, but Canon said, no, just here's the cameras. So they gave him 50 cameras and 50 lenses. Just say that you work with us and that's it, we're square. So that's pretty good, you know, give credit where credit's due is good to Canon as well for donating those cameras. So now, thankfully, he's starting a sort of kind of like a funder photographer program where if you can nominate schools or if you know a teacher that's, or they're, you know, say school A is struggling to get the money to fund their photography classes and that, you can nominate them and then he can look into helping them get camera gear with the assistance of these camera companies. I assume he may ask Nikon or, Sony and that as well, but you know, we'll see how we go. But either way, it's like a great thing for the photography community. More people can learn cameras, younger people can get into it. Like, I wish I got into it more when I was younger. I had the slight interest there, but went into that before the teacher was useless. So, made me hate photography, not hate photography, but made me lose my interest for a while. But thankfully, I came back to it. So, hopefully, other people can stay on that journey and not have to stop and start again later on. That's it for that. So, on to the main topic. So, when it comes to the big three, Nikon, Sony, and Canon, these three are who I'm most familiar with and who I would like to see some improvements from. Now, no matter who it is, whether you're a person, business, anything, there's always room for growth, always areas that you can definitely improve on. And there's no difference for these guys as well, these companies. Now, there's obviously 
a lot of other camera brands out there. You got Leica, Panasonic, Fuji, all those other. And there's obviously areas they could all improve in. But when it comes to stuff like Panasonic and Fuji, the two are the most common ones. I'm not really familiar with a lot of the stuff they do. So I can't really say what they can improve on. Like, for example, Panasonic, I assume they could definitely do with a lot more lenses. But I feel like because they're so video orientated and the fact that they're part of the L-Man Alliance, they're, Alliance, they're probably not doing too bad at the moment. And Fuji, I don't really know what Fuji could improve. That's why I wouldn't really talk about it because to me, they seem to do quite a bit quite well. But in terms for Canon, Sony and Nikon, I'm very sort of specific about where I know they can improve and where they should improve. So what I'll do is I'll discuss each one and I'll break it down in three sections for each brand and sort of discuss where I want to see those improvements. So first off the bat, Canon. Now, like most people complain they're stagnant, they don't innovate, all this kind of stuff, but they honestly do come up with a lot of stuff. It's just they don't maybe innovate in the area that particular person wants to. Although it's not something I would use, for example, they released that flash head that could actually figure out with AI in it, that could figure out where to sort of aim to get the best lighting. To me, that is hugely innovative. So it may seem like something gimmick now, but that could help, especially for a newer photographer that doesn't have the experience to know how lighting works. It could be make or break for them for a certain shot. But in terms of where I'd like to see them improve, there's three areas, major areas I want to see them improve. So the first one will be pricing and somewhat their range of lenses when it comes to RF. So obviously with their lens range, you know, the RF mount isn't that old. So it's going to take time to fill it out. But I do obviously want to see not so much. Everyone says we need more budget lenses, but I want mid-range lenses. So back in the day, you always had your Nifty 50. Then you had the 51.4, which is only about 600 AUD. Sorry. I would love to see, you know, you have your 51.8, your RF 51.8, your new Nifty 50, which is around 200 AUD or so. I want to see a, a 51.4. Maybe that's not an L lens, just a normal 51.4, around 9, maybe 1000 AUD, 11, 1200 AUD. But give it that excellent image quality, excellent, you know, um, autofocus, beautiful rendering, just maybe go a bit cheaper on the build just to justify the cheaper price or something. So it's not the pro lens and keep the 1.2 lenses as a pro. So you know, you could have the 1.8 lenses, you know, 50, 35 and 85, 1.8 is the cheapest, 1.4 in that mid range and then 1.2, which is, you know, super expensive, but for the pros. In terms of pricing, they really need to look at their pricing. So last time I checked from B&H, so the US pricing, I'm not familiar with the AUD for all of these. The Canon EF 35mm F1.2 L Mark II, that was going for around 1700 USD, if I remember correctly, at that time when I was looking. But the brand new Sony 35mm F1.4 GM, brand new lens was going for 1399 USD. So obviously that's quite a big difference considering how old the 35L is now compared to the GM lens, which is literally brand new and it's still undercutting it. Canon really need to start adjusting their prices. So you may say this lens A is better lens B, but the end of the day, you know, if you want people to convert over to your system, you need to really focus on the lenses because to me, the lenses are the biggest selling point. So I just checked here, yeah, $17.99 for the 35L2, which although when it came out was really good, a lot has changed since then and I've seen reviews that compare the RF 35 1.8 to the L Mark II and it holds up against it. So that means it's not really earning your worth that 1700 anymore if you have an RF mount body. This is my opinion obviously but Canon really need to adjust their pricing. If they want to be higher than Sony, that's no problem but 
you either need to make, if you come out with an RF 35 1.4, it would need to be the greatest 35 lens ever made to justify it to me for 1800. Otherwise, if Sony are 1399, like 1400, do 15, 1600, you're still more expensive, but at least it's within a more reasonable range. But to me, yeah, pricing is where they really need to be more competitive for lenses, for bodies, for everything. Because you see like them and Sony really, you know, pulling like sharing hits into each other now. Canon were releasing lenses like crazy last year. Seem to have slowed down a bit now, I guess, because of COVID and, you know, continued production issues. But Sony are now starting to get to that point where they're releasing a lot of lenses fastly. So they're both fighting in that sense. Now we just need to see Canon start fighting when it comes to pricing as well. The second area is working with third parties. Now, this is the same issue for Nikon, so I don't feel there's like a point in repeating myself, but long gone should be the days of where third parties are seen as being the enemy. Now, I covered this in the how, you know, what camera companies can learn from the video game industry episode, but for video games, third parties are considered very valuable. You want a third party to make games for your system, because without that, you're honestly going to struggle to sell systems. So I don't see why it's so hard for Nikon and for Canon to just like license out their AF algorithm to Sigma, Tamron, whoever, and take a piece of that pie because they're going to reverse engineer that. Well, obviously, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but I'm assuming here, obviously, they reverse engineer the lens, they sell it, they make a profit out of all of that. Whereas Canon could just, you know, or Nikon can easily just license out that AF algorithm. Obviously, they're going to make the lenses with that. Or say, for example, Sigma will make the lenses. Using that AF algorithm, they sell that lenses. Canon gets a little bit of piece of that pie compared to if they don't license the AF algorithm, they get nothing. It's better for the end consumer. And even if you look at it sort of like a economic GDP thing, Sigma, Tamron, Takina, I'm pretty sure they're all Japanese. Well, I know Sigma and Tamron all, but I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Takina as well, but the Japanese companies. So Japan still prospers. The country still prospers. Their GDP prospers if they're all working together. So to me, it's just so backwards. Like that's the one thing I would always, no matter what, how burned I was by Sony or whatever, you have to give them praise for how they work with third parties. It's just like what they do with video games and they learn from that. And that is honestly, I feel like if they cut off third parties and stopped supporting them, then a lot of people would stop supporting their system and you would see less people use it because that third party stuff, especially for people who are on a budget is so good. After using the Tamron 100 to 400, the 28 to 75, I become a massive convert for them. I love Tamron now. I prefer them over Sigma in my opinion, but I feel they could, both those companies could make even greater lenses if they weren't held back like they are by Canon and Nikon. And you know, at the end of the day, it's going to sell bodies. If they made a unique lens, so say they released a 85 1.4, the best 85 1.4 you can buy for any system, really decent price, but it was only on Canon and Nikon, like RF and Z mounts. If someone's a portrait photographer and they love 85 millimeters, they're just gonna swap systems to that without hesitation. Like one of the reasons I wanna swap to Canon was the 85 F2, that was a massive lens for me. So they really need to sort of pull their lens cloth out of there and then start, you know, thinking properly and helping not only the photography community, but helping themselves as well, at least getting a piece of that pie, but that's just me. The last thing which I think Sony does well but they could really learn from both. This is the same for both Canon and Nikon, but they're social media games. So I feel like they need a lot more interaction or a lot more events here in us. Maybe it's different in America, but here in Australia, I find Canon, even prior to COVID, they didn't have as many events and they don't seem to get the community involved as much as say Sony does. 
Now, this is the part where I don't really agree with, but it, I think it does work for Sony, is the social media strategy. Now, you know, with Sony, Canon, Nikon, you got your ambassadors, but Sony also got their Alpha Collective, which is just pretty much social media on, you know, influencers that sort of spread the name of them. Canon, if they really want to sort of win the war, you know, fight fire with fire, they, and Nikon, they really need to up their social media game. They sort of rely, I think, a bit more on the fact that they're a true photography company, photography company, you know, they know what they're doing, make quality products, but it'd just be good to get that extra social aspect out there. Like, you know, actively seek out photographers, social media competitions, that kind of stuff. Just these small things that can really help the brand name and help the community as well. Not to mention, you know, they do these very sponsored ads, but imagine if someone like Canon or Nikon hired, you know, Umesh from Perfect or Aaron Nace, they actually paid them to do Canon sponsored ads, you know, just you're working for Canon here, make these Photoshop tutorials or whatever tutorials, like actual tutorials, because you know, you get the tutorials that they do, you know, finger quote marks there, that are not really what anyone would watch compared to something, say, that like Aaron Nace would make. You need to actually get these smaller guys like Aaron Nace, Umesh, whoever like that kind of thing, and actually use them to your advantage, actually help spread the name. You know, it doesn't even have to be purely Canon focused. They can just do their tutorials, but sponsored by Canon or work for Canon, that whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that would actually help them get their name out there because they have a huge reach as well. That's pretty much it for Canon. Like I could probably come up with more, but those are the main sort of areas. In terms of Nikon, their main area I think they really would need to focus on is their phase detect AF. So, you know, with Sony obviously being in the mirrorless game for a long time, their real-time tracking AF is amazing. Canon and their dual pixel AF, that has been great for a long time now. Canon was sort of in the lucky part that they managed to create those M series cameras. So obviously the first few, the M, the M2 were nothing spectacular, but at the same time, it was their way of sort of just, I feel like testing out their mirrorless tech and really building upon it. So when it came time to release the R, the R5, the RP, the R6, they already had that foundation there. Whereas with Nikon, they didn't really have any phase detect AF. So they are a bit, you know, whenever you see, watch any comparisons of say R6 versus Z6 Mark II versus A7 Mark III, the Nikons often do have trouble, but it's mainly because they're very new to face detection AF. It'll obviously improve over time, but what you got to remember is so will Canon and Nikon. So while they're improving and Nikon's improving, you know, say, to make it a bit simpler, say Nikon, uh, Canon and Sony are on level six and about to hit level seven, but Nikon's on level three. Yeah, they're about to hit level four, but by the time they hit level four, Nikon and Sony, uh, Canon and Sony will already be a higher level too. So they're always playing that catch up game. From what I've seen in videos, their AF performance does still keep improving, but just needs to go a bit faster. You know, they really need to catch up to the competition. For a lot of uses, like it won't matter, but you would be amazed by how much it can change your photography by having greater AF. So for example, I had no interest in shooting birds prior to, you know, trying that time using the A9 Mark II. Now that I got my R6 and I have AF that's capable of really fast action. I'm actually using it and it actually helps my photography, helps expand my horizon, what kind of genres I want to shoot. So it can help you a lot. The other area, their lens range. So they've, you know, promised to release 12 lenses within 12 months, but I feel like with their lenses, they do need to work on the size of them as well. If you look at the size of the lenses, they are significantly larger compared to Canon and Sony often. Always isn't a big thing. Some people prefer larger lenses. So if, you know, you shoot the Nikon system and that's what you prefer, then I guess it's a good thing for you. But 
for a lot of people, they do prefer smaller lenses. So it's something you sort of can never please everyone. But I do think if they can get, you know, say the lens is a size eight, if they can get it down to a size six with no actual image compromises, then they really need to put that effort in to get it to that because that's where the market goes. You know, if you look at Sony, they're trying to get everything smaller. Canon for a lot of lenses, like your RF 7200, RF 100 to 500, they're trying to get their lenses smaller any way they can. So it's sort of where the market's going. You need to keep up. The other two areas was just working with third parties and social media, which is the same for Canon I already covered. So I wouldn't, you know, double up on that. Last but not least, Sony. So one area I feel like they need to improve is lens rendering. So in terms of sharpness, they do a great job. You know, bokeh bowl shape, that kind of stuff's great. But there's something about the lenses, just the rendering just isn't quite there often. So with the 35 1.8, for example, I love that lens. That sharp, beautiful, silent, silent AF, which was, I wish every lens had, you know, of all brands could focus that silent, but it's just the rendering just wasn't there. And, you know, the better a lens renders, you'll find the less you would need such a fast aperture. So if you look, say, for example, at an 85 1.4 versus an 85 1.8, if you shoot both at 1.8, the rendering would not be the same. The, generally, the faster lens, the 1.4, would still render the out of focus areas softer and nicer compared to the f1.8 lens when stopped down. It's not like a huge difference that you might notice unless you pixel peep, but the difference is there. And if you're looking for it, you will see it. But some of their lenses have had really nice rendering, like the 24GM I owned had really great rent rendering. Rendering, I haven't obviously been able to try the 51.2 GM, and I don't know when I would unless I attend a Sony event, so who knows about that. But rendering to me, you know, I went from my period where AF was, I mean, not AF, so sharpness was absolutely everything, nothing mattered but sharpness, but now I'm more about rendering. I feel like once you've owned a lens that's stupidly sharp but that has boring rendering, you get to appreciate the difference the rendering has on an image compared to the sharpness. The other area is their ergonomics and smaller features. So although they're not bad, you know, everyone knows if you have a fat lens on, say, the A7 Mark IV or A7 Mark III, your finger can be a bit tight in there. It's just like that wider body, smaller features like fully articulating screen. You know, with my Canon, as I mentioned, it does time-lapse videos in camera. You have the bulb timer, so you never really have to use a remote anymore. Just very, very small features like this is where they really need to focus because they're the ones that are often overlooked when it comes to designing cameras, but they're the ones that, you know, small things make the biggest difference kind of thing. Another one, the third area would be more Mark II lenses. So now their lens lineup is pretty well filled out and they're starting to stuff like their 50 1.4, you know, those Zeiss lenses need replacements. Replacement. So we got the 51 2GM, the 35 is now being replaced. So the 85 is a bit long in the tooth, the 24, the 70. Um, the 7200 is meant to be quite lack, not lack, I guess lackluster from what I've read. Nothing special cannot really compete with other brands 7200. So, and I believe the Tamron 7180 sort of blows it away in that sense as well. So all these Mark II lenses are a good area to focus on for, you know, what they need to improve in terms of lenses, that and rendering. And for me personally, slower pacing, the final one, slower pacing for releases. So I personally don't see the point in the camera company releasing every two years because a lot of the updates will be a lot more incremental rather than revolutionary. I've said this many times, the A7 Mark II was pretty boring, to be honest. That's why it never enticed me to switch over. But when the A7 Mark III came out, it was a big upgrade, massive upgrade in terms of AF, ergonomics, battery life, um, even image quality, dynamic range, it was a big increase as well. So they need big releases rather than just 
updated camera, like slightly new sensor, same amount of DR, dynamic range, you know, pretty much slightly changed body. And that's it, you know, some ergonomic changes, you know, like changing the focus color points, but you need to be blown away. So just give it four years, three, four years between releases. Three, four years allows you to really develop something new and groundbreaking. So rather than a new body come out every two years and it's just an incremental update, have it that way. All you need to do is put them on different timelines. So, you know, you have four series as you have, well, if you don't count the A1 now, but so you got A1, the R series, which is your high resolution, the A9 series, assuming who knows if they're going to keep it, if they keep it low res and fast as well. Then you got your normal A7 and the cinema line. So that's five. So you can release like one, you know, at a time and then you sort of cover each year and that way you have a decent break rather than releasing them all in one year, every two years sort of thing. To me, it just floods the camera market with used stuff, which, you know, can be good if you want to buy stuff cheap, but at the same time, it does devalue your stuff. So you need to upgrade regularly or sell it and up, you know, like awesome. Wait, so wait and then sell it at a massive loss later on. So yeah, those are all the things I think that we could improve on. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you think you disagree with me or you think I'm right, I'd like to hear from that. Make sure to reach out to me on social media or even in the comments on thephotographyenthusiast.com. Got a few stuff planned up. I'm trying to really get back into the whole YouTube thing and make videos for TPE. I've come up with an idea for a video, so I'll hopefully film that when I get some time, but have some family visiting soon, so that'll probably take up a lot of my time, so I won't be able to shoot as much or, you know, do much of this. Podcast will still be back in two weeks from release of this one, so do not worry about that. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening. Make sure to reach out to me on Twitter at Mr. Meowpuss. Otherwise, photosbydoe.com. All these links will be in the show notes on where to find me. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. See ya.